0: Good morning, Harmony. Good morning. What a week. This is one of those weeks that um, kind of has the whole microcosm of emotions. Um, so, I mean, yesterday uh, we got to be part of a joyous event, which is one of the beautiful things about being part of a church family, thats get to share in each other's joys. And so yesterday we got to watch Austin and Lori get married, um, Just a very emotional service, very joyful just watching them start their new life together. What an awesome and amazing blessing to be part of. Um, We also saw our own mini miracle during the week. Brother Devin was in a head on collision. Uh, with a car going the wrong way on the road, and we went from, he's in ICU, is he okay, to all of a sudden he's here on Saturday for the wedding itself, walking and participating. And so, you know, the the highs and lows of that event happening, and then of course, probably the thing that marked the week the most was last Sunday night. Um, don't know about you guys, if you heard about it Monday morning, for me I was up late Sunday, I flipped on the news and couldn't believe what we were seeing happening, um, It's sad though, in our culture it's almost become not as surprising anymore to watch these mass shootings happening. And of course, when they happen, all of us turn to all kinds of other things, right? It's about guns, it's about politics, it's about um, all kinds of different things. And really what it is, it's about spirit. It's about broken people. And it's about broken people not finding a way to deal with that brokenness and to get right with their God. And and because they're in so much pain, they look to inflict pain on others. And so I was watching that, and of course, besides being just so sad for those people, um, I was thinking about how it tied so much into what we've been talking about. The book of Habakkuk is about a man shouting at God, going, do you see what's happening around me? Where are you, God? God, do you not see the pain? Do you not see the hurt? Do you not see the injustice? Do you not see the violence? Do you not see the ugliness that every single day is burying its head to us and it feels like it's devouring us, God? Where are you? That's Habakkuk's cry. And so as we've been going throughout this, we're going to wrap up today and I really want it to be something you take home with you because the reality is God's not going to answer the question of why. He's not. You're hoping we get to the end of the book and God would go, well, let me explain exactly why I did all these things. He he really doesn't give us that. Instead, what He encourages us to be faithful and to trust Him. And what is so important for us is it's important in these moments in life where the whole country feels it, but it's also important for those moments in just our lives, where just we feel it. Because all of us along our journeys with God will hit these moments where life doesn't make sense and it's there that faith matters see what's funny is a lot of us talk about being faithful people and it's really easy to be faithful when what God's asking you to do is easy and what God's asking you to do is going to lead to blessing. Where faith becomes difficult is when you have to look at your own life and realize you are going to need to sacrifice. You are going to have to go through pain, but you do so because you trust your Father knows better than you. That's faith. And that's where a lot of us don't stand tall. We'll show the faith in the easy things. We'll show the faith in the small things. We'll show the faith in the things that align to us. But we won't show faith where it really hurts. I'll even give you an example. I had a, a good buddy. And um, he was the kind of guy that like, would give you the shirt off his back. I knew I could call him at 3 a.m. So I was broke down on the side of the road. He'd jump in his truck. He'd drive out. He'd fix the car for me. Over time, though, what I started to learn about him was there was a way he liked to sacrifice and give to people. It filled him up. And if you were asking for those kind of things, he'd do anything for you. So if you're asking him to fix something, repair something, do something physical, nobody in the world would give you more. But if you ever asked him to sit down and have a deep conversation with you, he couldn't do that. Couldn't do that. That sacrifice, uh uh-uh. Not going to do that. And what you really start to realize is is over time is those other things in a way kind of aren't sacrifice. You actually enjoy doing them. You actually enjoy giving that way. You actually get more out of that than you give out of that. And what real sacrifice comes to, where real faith hits is when God goes, no, I really need you to give. And it's not going to be fun. Those are those moments you figure out who you are. Those are those moments where you understand your relationship with God. And that's where Habakkuk is. Now before we jump into the last chapter, let's just kind of recap. There's two verses I've kept coming to throughout the series. I've called them the key to the series. The first is this, Isaiah 55, 8-9. For my thoughts, this is God speaking, are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's point, I'm God, you're not. I'm Lord, your servant. I do things, I act in ways, and I make things happen in a way you can't comprehend with your brain. Now, I kept using is like you're trying to explain the toughest life decisions to your two-year-old. You just can't. They, they just don't get it. They are not capable of understanding all the things that you're playing at. It's that to the nth degree when it comes to God trying to explain to you and me what He's doing. We just don't get it. But this is the faith we have to have. This is why you fall on your knees in the first place and even go to a God is you go, you're superior to me. I need you. I want you, and I know that you are here, and I am here. And I told you, the problem with a lot of Christians in this country is, we don't actually believe this. We want God as our backup plan. We want God to bail us out. We want God as the 911 phone call. We want God as the genie in the bottle. God, here's my will. You make it happen. It's funny, I was even talking to my dad the other night, and we were talking about... uh, politics and, and all kinds of things and where America stands and its holiness. He was going to say, it's funny, like we don't even say, may God bless the country. May God bless the USA. We say God bless USA. I know it's a simple little thing there, it's one little word, but it's a big deal. Are we saying and ordering God to do something, or are we going, I hope he does. May it be in his will to do so. Brother James came to me last night, because at the wedding, I, I, said, uh, I said, I understand you guys want me to bless the food because people are waiting to eat. And he goes, now remember, brother, you can't bless the food. Only God can. Okay? Let's, let's remember that. I can always count on James for those kind of things. But it's a key point. It's a key point in the relationship with God. And tied to that is understanding not only is God good, I'm not. Amen. Part 2.17, and when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick I came not to call the righteous, but I came for sinners. So besides you acknowledging that God is good, you need to acknowledge you are not. And there's some of us, we don't want to do that part either. we we'll oh yeah, God is awesome. I'm pretty good too, though. No, you're not. No, you're not. We are sinners, we are selfish, we are self-consumed, we are driven by so much. It's funny, Like, do you even just realize how our culture has swung? I, I want you guys to think back for a little bit and think about your grandmas and what they would have thought had back 40 years ago you took a picture of yourself about to eat dinner. The whole selfie culture that we are part of, so my dad is Hispanic and I can tell you my Mexican grandma if he'd to try to take a picture of himself eating food she'd be like boy what are you doing? Do you think anybody cares about what you're going to eat? When did you become so self-consumed and think you're so important that it matters where you are and what you're eating and how you look? Get over yourself. <laughs> but that's us. All day every day. And what's funny is In 20 years, our kids won't even think this is weird. I mean, like, do you ever like go someplace nowadays and like feel like if you didn't get a photo of it, it's like it didn't happen? (laughs) There is no social proof that we did this. There's no selfie in front of the sign. There was no picture of the meal we ate. It's like it didn't even exist. We're so caught up with ourselves. And what we really should see is the more we are aware of ourselves, the more I need him. I think that's the hard thing for us to understand. We don't even realize how sinful we are. Those two things are necessary to start the relationship with God, and they are necessary to keep it in proper perspective. So as we've been going through Habakkuk, we've covered chapters 1 and 2, so let's just kind of catch everybody up. We said the first thing, be real with God. Habakkuk cries out to God in anger, in sadness, in confusion, and it's beautiful that he does that because it means he has a real relationship with God. He doesn't just go, oh, everything's great, I love you, God, life is the best, you're awesome, and then turn to his friends and go, I can't stand this place. Can you believe all this junk that's happening? At work, we have a term for this. We call it the meeting after the meeting. And what that means is is we go into big boss man's office, there's the big meeting where we all formally talk and we all nod our heads, smile, oh yes, great point, great point. Then after that meeting lets up, what happens? There's the little clusters of all the people going, can you believe he said that? That is the worst plan that I've ever heard in my entire life. Let me give you 27 reasons why that will never work, right? And so we're going, let's not have those meetings, let's talk about that in the big meeting, If you think it's a stupid plan, tell me you think it's a stupid plan. Because it doesn't help anybody for you to think it but not share it. And the same goes with your relationship with God. If you love Him, if you know Him, you will get angry with Him. The beauty is, do you share it with Him or do you not? If you don't, your relationship is bad and broken. If you do, it means you've got something with Him. So we learn from it. be real. Second, no, he listens. Like one of the things we just take for granted in a lot of Bible stories is that God responds. But let's be real. In our own lives, have we had moments crying out to God where we haven't heard back in the way we wanted? A big point of this story is God cares. Don't for a second think that you're alone. Don't for a second think that you're going through something and God's oblivious to it. Don't for a second think He is not completely and utterly consumed by it. I guarantee you the person who cried the most Sunday night wasn't anybody here on earth. It was God. It was God the Father watching His own children slaughter each other. And it is only He that could feel all the emotion, all the pain, all the hurt throughout the world that night. He knows more about it than you do. So you're real with God, you know He listens, and you understand He acts in His own way. Just because He knows and just because He acts doesn't mean He acts in the way that you want. He is going to do what is right by His mind and by His will, which is far from ours. Why? Because we are sinners and we struggle with justice. You and I can't comprehend what is right or wrong. We're not good enough to do that. In fact, what's funny is we probably often complain about life being unfair when the reality is it's probably more unfair in our benefit. I am so glad God does not give me what I deserve. But you know what's funny? Is more of my life is probably spent going, God, this is unfair. I deserve more. And he's probably like, do you understand what I've given you? I sacrificed my son on a cross for you, and you're going to sit here and go, I didn't get my promotion. Life's not fair. God, why won't you do something for me? Do something for you? Are you for real right now? It's like, parents, do you ever have the moment where your kid comes to you and goes, I never get anything. (laughs) And you want to be like, do you see the house you're in? Do you know the food you eat? Do you see the clothes you're wearing? <laughs> like, just going to let that go. <laughs> right? We're sinners and we struggle with justice. We also learned that, that justice shows itself in different ways. One, children will be disciplined in love. So when God brings punishment on Judah, He does it because He loves them. He does it because what He's hoping is that pain is going to put their hearts back into a place where they reach out for Him. The purpose of those actions is not to punish them. It's to make them right with Him again. And so as children, what we often need to understand is when God is disciplining, if you and I are just praying for it to end, we're missing the entire point. Never pray for the storm to end. Pray that you learn what God is trying to teach you in the storm. And what's funny is often once you learn that, the storm subsides. Because God goes, the whole point was to teach you. The whole point was to shape you. And now that you've learned, now that you've matured, now that you've grown, I can pull back the discipline. But if the whole time you're just saying, please get over this. Please let this end. He's going, you're not listening. You don't get it. On the flip side, pray to God you're one of His children. Because if you're not, enemies will experience the wrath of God's anger. In this book, He has talked about two people who will be experiencing pain. One is Judah. The Israelites, the people of God. The point of their pain is to bring them back to him so he can bless them more than they've ever imagined. The other is the Chaldeans. Them, their pain brings no blessing. The pain they will experience one day will be destruction for the fact that they've never acknowledged him, that they have murdered, that they've massacred, and that they have made violence their God. He will pay that back. And so my prayer in my life is like, please let me be a child because I want to know when I experience this pain it's for a purpose it's to prepare me it's to line me up for blessing not that it's me getting the wrath of God because I have walked and stood against Him and then the last thing we got to was through it all keep the faith Throughout all these things keep the faith and ultimately that goes back to the key of the series there is a God it's not me and His ways are far better than mine he is the Lord, I am the servant. I do as he asks. That's it. And so we're going to finish up today in chapter 3 talking a little bit about why. A little bit about why and a little bit about what journeys like this are supposed to do to us. So if you have a Bible, let's flip to Habakkuk. Let's go to chapter 3. Habakkuk complains. God... Help Judah. God responds. He says, I will. The Chaldeans are going to take you over. Habakkuk goes, God, that's scary. I don't think I like that plan. God goes, yes, but your pain will be to discipline you. The Chaldeans will be to destruction. Habakkuk responds with this prayer. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear you. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered, and the everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of cushion and affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging water swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and mood stood in their place, At the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear, you marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the head of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind so scattered to me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trample the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. A lot of stuff going on there, but basically what you're getting from Habakkuk is a song. You're getting a song and through its words what you see him alluding to is many of these historical things that God has done that shows he's in control. Look at how he sings and he talks about right after uh, verse 5 before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. What he's remembering is is there a time when God has used plagues to bless the people of God? Absolutely. If we remember the Exodus, Pharaoh would not let the people of God go. And what did God do? He brought plagues. He brought these unbelievable natural disasters. He brought sickness. He brought death. Why? To break a hardened heart and to bring God's people into blessing. Now, why is Habakkuk singing that? Because he's reminding himself. He's reminding himself that, well, God is about to unleash pain on us through to the Chaldeans. This isn't the first time he's done this. In fact, my nation wouldn't even be standing here today if God hadn't used things like this in the past. He's remembering and rejoicing at all the things God has done through time. And so as he sings about these things, he's singing about God creating earth. God breaking through the earth. He even talks about a little bit of the things that we see happen in, in Joshua. He says, the sun stood still. Do you remember that? You remember there's a battle in the book of Joshua? And God says, before this day ends, your enemies will be completely vanquished. And during the midst of the battle, when Joshua feels like he doesn't have enough time, what does he do? He looks at the sun and says, God, stop it. And God does. The whole point of this song is to remember the awesomeness of God. And so what we see here is this song is about God is holy and He is awesome. Why am I going to keep the faith? I'm going to keep the faith because I will remember who my God is. You and I have a problem. We are temporal beings. And not only does that mean we have shortened lifespans, it just means you and I, we are so like little flies. We live like in the moment. Even when we think we're being you know, really deep and thought-provoking, we're, we're living in the moment. You and I rarely live for eternity. We are normally utterly consumed by today. <coughs> like, think about it, right? You get in a, a wreck with your car. That day's ruined. Right? The reality is hundreds of blessings may have happened that day, but you got a little fender bender. Bad day. Right? One thing happens to us and it could consume an entire amount of our hearts and our energy and our thoughts. And the reality is you won't even remember that thing in 300 trillion years from now. We are so consumed with the tiny, with the short term, with the little, that we forget about God has a holiness and an awesomeness that's been throughout eternity. I mean, just, just think of what the people went through to even become the nation of Israel. Remember, this is the God that dealt with a man like Abraham who had to realize that it may take 80 to 100 years before he had a kid. And don't think Abraham wasn't sitting there going, like, I'm supposed to be the father of a great nation. I can't even have one kid. I mean, I'm supposed to have so many children, you can't count them. I can't even get one. It's those kind of moments that Habakkuk is remembering and reminding himself that it is God who acts, it is God who accomplish, it is God who does. It's Him that gets the things done. That's an important thing for you to remember. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not saying as Christians that there is not a duty that you and I have to act. We are the body of Christ. We have to act. Amen but don't for a second confuse yourself into thinking that victory is reliant on you it's God who does it look at Romans chapter 8 verse 30 and those whom he predestined and he also called and those whom he called he also justified and those whom he justified he also glorified that's about you and Jesus and who did all the work he did He predestined you, then He called you, then He justified you, and then He glorified you. How much action and credit was given to you in any of that? Zero. Zero. Notice, it doesn't say, whom whom, who He called, then worked to become justified, and then worked to become sanctified. He's like, I did it all, man. I did it all. that's the perspective we have to have and that's what Habakkuk's singing about I gotta pull back here I'm confused by all the things that are going on God. but I just gotta remember you're the almighty you've already done millions of things on your own and you've brought us all the joy and blessings we have look at Philippians 1.6 and I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ what's this saying? it's saying Don't get caught up in the little bumps. Don't get caught up in those things that try to derail you from seeing what God is doing in your life. We know how this ends. We know what awaits us. We know what He's promised. Where the faithfulness breaks is when you and I sit there and we go, no, I believe I am saved. I believe that my God has sealed my soul. I believe day I will stand in paradise with him. I believe that there is a mansion being prepared for me by the God Almighty. A mansion built by one who knows me in and out, knows all my joys, all my hopes, all my passions, and he is building a perfect place for me. But today is a crappy day because I had a car accident. Wait a minute. Perspective, please. You have eternal salvation. You have eternal love. You have purpose. You have an eternal destination. You have a God who's obsessed with you and loves you. And you got an offender bender, so today's a bad day. I think you're losing sight of this. I think you're losing sight. That's God's point, is don't lose sight. Your cup overflows. And you're focused on the tiny little thing you don't have. Don't do that. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13-14. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. How I kind of look at this is it's like God gave me a check. God has given me a check. I haven't cashed it yet. But should I ever doubt that when I submit that check, it's going to bounce? Some of us we worry about God's check bouncing. We have it, it has a nice big number on it, but we're staring at it like ah, I don't know if I actually cash this thing if it's going to come through. And we all have those friends, right? Anybody have those friends, right? You get the check and you're like, that's not going to clear. God's not that friend. God's going, I told you I'm going to take care of this. Are you really doubting me? You really think I'm not going to come through? I mean, the most beautiful thing to me about this book is, do you understand that in the beginning, right after Adam and Eve sin, God starts outlining the gospel of Jesus? Amen. So we're talking thousands of years before he ever sets foot on earth, God already started working on it. Amen. So when you and I are sitting here with like a five-year plan going, I don't know if it's going to work out. I don't know if God's going to come through. He's like, do you understand what I do? I make plans happen over thousands of years. I make plans happen over millennium. I use kingdoms and laws and empires to do my bidding. And you think I can't handle this? Child, please. Please have perspective. I want you to look at how it finishes. In verse 16, something important starts to happen. In verse 16, after he's remembered and rejoiced at everything God has done, we see Habakkuk start to internalize this. And there's an important thing here, right? Did God ever give him an answer or a solution to this problem that he liked. No, God, our nation's devastated. I know, going to have you guys conquered. I don't like that. I know, still going to happen. That's how the book ends. That's the story of the book. There, there's no like God going. You know what? I heard you back at good point. We're going to make this go better for you. No. What God said was going to happen is going to happen. What's changing is, is how black is going to deal with it. And what we realize is it's not that. The pain disappears. I think some Christians have this false perspective that like you can't weep. That like you can't in deep dark valleys admit that you're kind of scared. I mean let's be real, right? Jesus himself when he learns of Lazarus' death, what does he do? He cries. And you go, in part of you goes, well, wait a minute, like, this is Jesus, right? He knew Lazarus was coming back. In fact, he knew he was going to bring Lazarus back. But even in all that knowledge, what did he still feel? The pain and the hurt. He knew what his friend had gone through. He knew what his, their sisters were going through. He saw the pain in their lives, and it hurt him. He felt that. Don't ever for a moment think that it's wrong to acknowledge that, yeah, stuff hurts what's wrong is to let that pain block out your hope and so look at verse 16 what starts to happen I hear and my body trembles my lips quiver at the sound rottenness enters into my bones man what a beautiful description rottenness enters into my bones like doesn't that make you want to just like kind of cringe like the feeling of the bones inside of you just rotting and crumbling decaying like he's making it clear like is he skipping around judah right now going god is great no he's like this is going to be hard this is going to be painful this hurts it hurts bad it's consuming me from the inside my legs tremble beneath me yet i will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us what's his point i can endure See, at the beginning of the book, he knows the pain is coming and he doesn't believe he can withstand it. By the end of the book, what he goes is the pain is coming and I will endure. By the end of the book, he has the armor that we talked about in Ephesians on and he's going, I'm ready to stand firm. What I now know is the fight is coming. The charge from my enemies is at my feet. I can see the whites of their eyes and they are going to hit me. But I don't fear that I can withstand it. Bring it. Bring it. That's where Habakkuk is now. Not that he's praying for the war to go away. He is in the midst of the war going, we've got this. My God stands before me. My God gives me strength. And my God will lead this to victory. He knows pain's coming, but he's not afraid of it. And brothers and sisters, that's beauty. That's real life. It's not that God promises you have smooth path ahead of you. It's that what He promises is you can withstand it all if you count on Him, if you trust in Him. One of my favorite quotes is not from a Christian, it's from a a philosopher and a martial artist by the name of Bruce Lee. He said, don't ever pray for an easy life. Pray for the strength to endure a hard one. I think about that and go, that, that applies here. I don't get to determine whether it's an easy life or a hard life. That's out of my hands. My prayer is, is that I'm so close to my God that I can endure the toughest life. Because He will give me what I need. Though the fig should not blossom, nor fruit be on its vines the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls yet I will rejoice in the Lord I will take joy in the God of my salvation God the Lord is my strength he makes my feet like the deer's he makes me tread on high places something huge and beautiful happens here something huge Habakkuk has stopped going to God for what God can give him. He now goes to God for God. Do you understand that? Habakkuk at the beginning was complaining, not because God wasn't just, not because God wasn't good. He was complaining because what he was getting from God wasn't pleasing. And so the focus of his attention and his energy and his emotion wasn't on God, it was what God was giving. And by the end of the book where we now see maturity is that he's no longer paying attention to what's being given. He's going, God, whatever is given, I have you. God, Satan had distracted me with the things and the circumstances of life. And it distracted me from seeing you. But through this conversation, God, I remember who you are. I remember how awesome you are. I remember how faithful you are. I remember how powerful you are. I remember that you, almighty God, you talk to me. Who am I that you should even care what I say? But you're talking to me. And what he remembers is after he describes, I mean, like, verses 16 through 17 are just like the most utterly devastating description of the pain he's going to feel. Right? It's internal rotting. It's it's physical breakdown. And, oh, by the way, the world I live in is devastated. Trees will not blossom. Right? He paints this, like, picture of utter devastation and goes, but I have you. Amen. And God, if I have You, then I can rejoice. If I have You, I can take joy. If I have You, I have strength. If I have You, I can sing. That's the point of the book. The point of the book is you're looking at the wrong stuff. You're consumed with what God can give you and you're not consumed on Him. There's a couple of quotes I wanted to share with you that I thought put this so beautifully. This one's from C.S. Lewis. He says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what it means to be offered a holiday at the sea we are far too easily pleased. Do you get what he's saying there? He's saying, God's not looking at you guys going, oh, you guys want too much joy. He's like, you guys confuse me because you settle for so little. You settle for so little. It's like, have you ever gone to the fancy restaurant and it takes so long that you get full on the bread? Have you ever done that? Right, you just sit, sit there and you're eating this cheap bread and the great meal comes and you're like, I'm full. I shouldn't have eaten so much. <laughs> C.S. Lewis's point is like, God's not, God is not worried about providing you joy. In fact, he's like, I've got more joy than your brain can comprehend. But you guys are confusing to me because when I offer you this, you're like, oh, I'll just go over here and take that. I just want the temporary... Joy that soon is followed by emptiness that comes from ambition and getting drunk and having food and having sex. And God's like, but don't you get it? I offer you eternal, infinite joy that not only temporarily, but eternally outweighs all of that to an unbelievable degree. Why? Kind of reminds me, yesterday we had a a breakthrough moment for Tyler on saving money. So he gets a, a, a small allowance every week for doing his chores. But where he struggles is, is, as soon as he gets like his two bucks, he looks for anything he can buy for two bucks. <laughs> and i have continually like for months now, been like talking to him about like, son, do you get it yet? Yeah, you can buy the candy bar, but then you're going to eat it and it's gone. Now, if you'll wait seven weeks, you could get that transformer toy that you really want. And for, for like months and months, we can't get there. Gets the two bucks and goes, blows it on something. And then two, two days later, it's either eaten or it's lost. Well, finally, he waited six weeks, saving up his money, and he got this cool toy. And he was like, this is awesome. I need to do this more. And so now he's like, how many weeks for that thing? And I'm like, eh, 52 weeks. <laughs> he's like, how many Sundays is that? I'm like, 52 Sundays. He's like, that seems like a lot. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. But like, he finally got the perspective of like, wait a minute, I keep buying junk, and if I'd wait a little bit and be a little patient, I might actually get something worthwhile. God's saying the same thing to you and me. You fools. You chase stupid stuff all the time when infinite joy is awaiting you. Another quote I love is from A.W. Tozer. He says, I want the presence of God himself, or I don't want anything at all to do with religion. I want all that God has, or I don't want any. Amen. What's he saying? He's saying there's a bunch of church people that aren't Christians. And he really doesn't understand them. Like, why would you come to church on Sundays if you're not passionately in love with God? Like, why are you here? Like, no offense, right? Music's good. Preaching? Eh, okay. But like, you could find more entertaining things to do with your Sunday morning. So if you're just here to be entertained, I don't get it. I don't get it. I mean, unless you just don't have enough wood paneling in your life. I mean, I don't know. But like, why are you here? He's like, I don't want anything to do with religion if it's not about getting in touch with God. I don't want anything unless what it's doing is drawing me to Him. I don't want to know about him. I want to know him. I don't want to read about his voice. I want to hear his voice. I don't want you to tell me about your journey. I want to follow in his footsteps. I want to be consumed with God. There's some of you, you're not consumed with God. Some of you are completely and utterly content to stay where you've been. You know, how I know that. Just like simple, easy things. When's the last time you dived into this thing? When's the last time you set aside time for you and God alone? Amen. You ever schedule a date with God? I mean, think about it. Like, let's just be real, right? If, if you went to anybody in their personal life and went, hey, when's the last time you took your wife out? Eh, six years. You'd probably be like, man, that's, is everything good? Is everything good? What's funny is when I talk to people about having a date with God, they're like, that's weird. <laughs> like, just time for me and God alone? Like, okay, weirdo. <laughs> Fanatic. Yes! Fanatic! We have got to be that kind of people. I desire God and I want to push everything out that pulls me away from Him. I want to be with Him. I want to be in His presence. I want to know Him. Some of us just don't have that. You're coming to church, you're eating the chips, and you're leaving before the main course don't do that I'll give you one last passage Luke chapter 5 in Luke chapter 5 in verse 33 Jesus is approached by some of his critics and they're asking him about the confusing behavior of his disciples and they say to him the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers and so do the disciples of the Pharisees And Jesus, yours, eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. What's his point? His point is, those other disciples are fasting and praying and, and agonizing despair because they're longing for the presence of their God. My disciples aren't doing that, because I'm right here. Amen. <laughs> My disciples aren't fasting, going, God, let me be closer to you, because if they open their eyes, I'm right here. Amen. My disciples aren't sitting there in agonizing prayer, going, God, please let me hear you. Because I'm actually right here and they can hear me talk to them. He's like, his big point, his big analogy is like, hey, there's a time for fasting in your life? Probably not at the wedding. That's probably not the right place to do it. But notice what he says. A time will come when the bridegroom is taken from them. And then they will. Well, brothers and sisters, the bridegroom has been taken from us. Jesus does not walk with us right now in physical form. And what he expected to happen is that at that moment when we were taken away, then we would fast unlike anybody else. That we would pray more earnestly than anybody else. Because we would have a greater hunger than any of them had ever had. And so the question becomes, why aren't we fasting? Why aren't we praying? Why aren't we digging through the truth of God's Word? Why don't you see an unsatiable hunger in this church to get closer to God? Not go to church to get closer to God. All the activities we do don't matter if they don't pull us to Him. And that's where Habakkuk gets. And so, brothers and sisters, the beauty of a book like this is it opens up your eyes to realize you've got to change your perspective on everything. Everything that's going to happen to Judah is a blessing. Because ultimately, it's going to pull them closer to the greatest source of joy ever, God. So all those things, we should praise. Because they get us closer to God. As we're about to go in prayer time, though, I want some of you to get real. I don't think everybody in here wants God. I think there's a lot of people in this room who want stuff from God. And you've got to ask yourself as you talk to Him, what do you want more? Would you rather be in the valley of the shadow of death by Jesus' side or be in the green pastures without Him? There's a lot of us, we want the green pastures. And for a lot of us, the only reason we ever came to Jesus is because we heard some preacher tell us that if we came to Him, He'd get us to the green pastures. The commitment of the heart needs to be, I will go through hell, Lord, if I get to be by You. The only desire, the only thing I want is you. And I will endure any pain, any suffering, anything this world can throw if I have you. And there is not a single blessing that anybody could ever lay at my feet that would tempt me to walk away from you. That's what it means to be a Christian. Is that God is my number one and nothing can pull me away. Pray in your life. Pray right now as we go to God about what you really desire. Because some of you, the desires of your heart are things you're hoping he gives you. And what you realize is the greatest gift's right there, it's Him. That's what Habakkuk teaches us. I'm going to ask you to go to the Lord in prayer. I'm going to ask Brother Joe to come forward with me. I'm going to ask Brother James to be in the back. If you need someone to pray with us, pray with, just know that you can come up. But you ask yourself, do you want God or do you want His blessings? We know what God's Word tells us to chase. It's Him.